All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased and honored to have with me again Jim Rogers, world-renowned investor, TV commentator, former professor at Columbia Business School, uh, in New York, and more recently, author of at least three books that I know of, which, if you read them, will really help you to see the world as as it is, and in a way that's much different than you're going to hear from the mainstream media. What I like most about Jim Rogers is his candid and frank discussion of the major issues of our day. He is not afraid to criticize America, which is something you have to be a bit more fearful about these days, given recent revelations of how American, uh, Amer- the American government is now spying on all of us. I kind of see Jim Rogers as a canary in the coal mine. He spent more than five years on two trips traveling around the world, visiting something like 116 countries. But traveling around the world for Jim Rogers was not like you or I might think of traveling around the world. Jim took two years to ride a motorbike around the world on his first journey. Then he and Paige, his fiancée at the time, and now his wife, drove a custom-made Mercedes around the world the second time. But on neither journey did he and Paige stay uh, in fancy hotels in major cities for the most part. Rather, they visited some very remote third-world countries and some very dangerous places where living standards, by at least by the way most of us judge them, are abysmal. With that kind of worldly experience, Jim has had a, a point of reference to compare America with that few others have had, and and what he has observed in America has uh, caused him to realize that this country's best days are most likely behind us, even as the future of Asia appears to be getting brighter. So Jim Rogers left the U.S. and moved to Singapore a few years back, where he and his wife Paige are raising two daughters, where they are learning Mandarin. Even... Uh, Even if he doesn't live in the U.S. any longer, Jim is still a great asset for us because of his knowledge about the world and his willingness to share it with us. For that, Jim, I want to say thank you very much for being with us once again. Oh, thank you, Jay. I, I too, am as worried about the U.S. government as you are. Um, You know, I'm not afraid to say what I think, but... Even I have started noticing, oh, my gosh, you know, they might just drop a drone right yeah. here on my house. They might kidnap me because 10 years ago, 50 years ago, nobody worried about criticizing the government. We were a free country. But now you see what's happening to people, and yeah. many people are winding up being persecuted one way or the other 
just for what they say. And I, I have to tell you, I am surprised to find that even I, or not even I, that all of us now have to worry that maybe somebody's going to knock on our door. They don't have to have a search warrant anymore. They don't have to have, they can go into your garage, your bedroom, your bank account. They don't even have to have search warrants anymore. And they, you, can dis- you can disappear. You don't have to have habeas corpus. There's no such things anymore. Uh, this is it, it's very worrisome. I, it was, I think even 10 years ago it would have been very difficult to perceive this taking place. And I guess we would still be very ignorant about a lot of it if it weren't for, uh, for Mr. Snowden and other uh, people that have revealed some of these facts. Well, you see what's happened to them just for revealing what the government is doing. Yeah. And some of that stuff, by the way, was one could have figured out it was, it was public knowledge anyway. All that wasn't on the front pages and the right. headlines. Right. But now because of the Internet, a lot of this stuff is more easily accessible. And as you well know, they're listening to this conversation right now. Absolutely. They, they're listening to everything. Uh, and they can use it, and most of it they'll ignore. But when they need it, they'll use it. So that's the problem. Uh, be, before we go further, I just want to tell our listeners that, that you must... Uh, pick up a copy of Street Smart. That's Jim's latest book, Street Smart, Adventures on the Road and in the Markets. And it really is a, it reveals a lot of Jim's experience. And uh, as I say, that is very, very valuable to us here in America, even though he no longer lives here. Uh, his insights into the markets and into human behavior, I think, is very, very important. So, Jim, let me just say this. The, the, the boys and girls on Wall Street seem to be very happy these days, in spite of what you were just talking about, uh, the, uh, the sort of Nazi uh, police state that we have in America. The Dow is hitting new highs almost every day, and Maria Bartiromo has a big smile on her face as she wraps up the market uh, close every day. So what I'm saying to you, Jim, see, everything is pretty good here. Why don't you just come back from Singapore? Well, first of all, even though I live in Singapore, Jay, I am an American citizen. Uh-huh. I am an American voter. I am an American taxpayer. I think it's still allowed for Americans to live wherever they want to. I don't think we've become North Korea yet. I don't think we've become Cuba yet. You know, I think our citizens still have freedom of choice. I hope freedom of choice of where to live. Uh, having said that, yes, I see what's happening just like you. But, Jay, all of this is based on an artificial ocean of printed money. It's the first time in recorded history that... And by the way, Jay, I'm on my exercise bicycle as we speak. I'm multitasking. Yeah, I, I, uh, I appreciate that, Jim. You're a very busy man, and I can understand. So uh, uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, you know, it's the first time in recorded history where every major central bank or every major government has printed huge amounts of money in order to debase its currency. This has never happened. You have the Japanese saying, we will print unlimited, that was their word, unlimited amounts mm-hmm. of money. So the American Central Bank jumped in and said, well, wait a minute, guys. We can print a trillion dollars a year. Let us in the game, too. And the English said, hey, we can do this. We know how to print money. <laughs> Europeans said, well, we, don't worry. We will do whatever's necessary. So this has never happened before. We know it's going, I think I know it's going to end badly for all of us. It has to stop someday. Either they decide to stop it or the market just says, we're not going to take your garbage paper anymore. Mm -hmm. And when it ends, Jay, boy, you better be in a life life raft instead of in the yacht floating on that sea of printed money. 
Yeah, it is really uh, it is really very worrisome. And uh, yeah, you mentioned before, of course. Again, this is the at the heart of it is the printing press, uh, the enormous amounts of money. Uh, but clearly, the creditor nations, the countries that are prospering and working and saving, are not happy about this. They're stuck with dollars to a great extent. How much longer do you think this can go? How much longer will the Chinese and others continue to accept our paper? Or are they already starting to unload? Well, many countries are already starting to say, wait a minute, guys, we don't want your dollars. Some of them are enemies. I mean, Iran and Venezuela for obvious reasons, but those are big holders of currency. Others, the Chinese, the Russians are starting to say, wait, wait a minute, this is, this is not good. So many countries are already starting. I, I'm a terrible market timer, Jay. I'm the worst, in fact, but I would say... Maybe later this year, the Germans have an election this fall, so there's obviously going to be a lot of good news until after that election. Mm-hmm. It may be 2014, 2015. I'm not smart enough to know, but I do know at some point either the central bankers themselves are going to come to their senses. You already see that some of the governors of the Federal Reserve are starting to raise questions, mm-hmm. or... The investing the world is just going to say, we don't want your paper anymore. Right. And we're going to force it to stop. But it, it, I don't see how it can possibly last past 2015. But then I wouldn't have thought it would have lasted as long as it has. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to say, isn't it? You know, we had David Stockman on this show a couple of weeks back. And regarding this huge debtor's hell that we've gotten ourselves into, he said, and I quote, All of these things emerged over a period of time incrementally out of the drastic mistake of 1971 August when at Camp David, Nixon, surrounded by all of these free market economists, made the greatest financial mistake in history, end of quote. Now, by that, of course, David meant the, uh, you know, did, uh, taking away the fixed currency regime under which uh, that was backed by gold and ushering in the floating rate system that we have today and, and therewith uh, removing all constraints in printing press money. Would you, do you think David is making an overstatement when he said that? The greatest financial mistake in history. I, I, that's pretty, pretty that's elaborate pretty statement. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I don't know that that's the biggest in, in history. It was certainly looking back on it. But Nixon made lots of mistakes. I mean, gosh, you can go back to the 30s. It was, we've been making mistakes in America certainly at least for 40 years, maybe even 50 years. I mean, Johnson said we can spend all this money. We don't have to worry about spending money. We can have guns and butter at the same time. I mean, that's really when it started. Uh, and then Nixon, that led to huge problems, which forced Nixon to do something. Unfortunately, he did the wrong thing. He's put a, you know, he started attacking the symptoms rather than the cause. Right. And that's yeah. been a huge problem with politicians throughout history. They attack the symptoms instead of the basic cause. Because attacking the cause, Jay, hurts. Yeah. You know, it hurts when you're that's doing right. something wrong to change. Right. Well, you, as long as you can make believe that, that, that the politicians can fix it rather than subjecting yourselves to the natural laws of, of, the, of the universe, then I guess uh, in the short run you can, you can make believe things are, are not so bad. But, you know, we, we have this, um, this, it seems to me, 
we've got this huge disconnect between Wall Street. You know, it seems to be celebrating new highs almost every day. Jay, the, you know, the folks at J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and a few other major Western, Western banking firms are really becoming extremely rich. But the manufacturing base of America continues to decline, and folks like Meredith Whitney are warning us that Detroit is just the first city to be eaten away by the parasites. How do you, Jim, explain the disconnect between this uh, prosperity on Wall Street and the increasing uh, demise of America's middle class in its manufacturing base. Well, when they're throwing a lot of money out the window, the people catching the money are doing well. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, the rest of us, if we're not catching the money, aren't doing so well because overall, Jay, the situation is deteriorating. The debt's going higher, higher and higher. The huge amount of money printing is going higher and higher. Uh, currency instability is getting worse and worse. So, yeah, if you're, if you're one of the guys at the right place, you're having a good time. But overall, the situation is getting worse. You know, we've had economic slowdowns in America every four to six years since the beginning of the republic. 2001, 2002, we had a problem. 2007 and 8 were worse because the debt was so much higher. Jay, the next time around, oh my gosh, it's going to be much, much worse still because the debt is now up to the sky. Yeah. And if we survive the next economic slowdown with all the debt, I doubt if we'll survive the one after that because by then, the debt is going to be not just to the sky, it's going to be infinite. So be very careful. Yeah. No, it's, the mathematics just don't work and, and uh, even, with, even with low interest rates, but uh, speaking of interest rates and, and the refusal to accept U.S. paper, U.S. Treasury paper, uh, you know, we've had a bull market that started in 1981 or so. It's been a secular bull market that is unbelievable with U.S. Treasuries. In spite of the fact that we've printed more and more, faster and faster, it seems as though, up to this point at least, the rest of the world is still accepting our paper. We have, um, but but seemingly, you know, now we've had quite a re- quite a turn in the long-dated Treasury markets, as you as you know. Uh, do you think the bull market is over in treasuries, or is it hard to say, impossible to say? Well, it's always hard to say. I wish it were, if it were easy to yeah. say. Jay, everybody would be rich, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Uh, I have certainly called the end of the bull market in bonds several times yeah. uh, in the last uh, decade or two. Uh, not the last decade, the last year or two or three. So, uh, And every time, fortunately, I've been stopped out. Although, at the moment, I happen to be uh, short bonds, junk bonds. And to my surprise and delight, I'm making money. So who knows if it's finally ended. Uh, I, I do know it's getting closer and closer. It cannot go on. I cannot conceive of lending money to the U.S. government for 30 years at two or three or four yeah. or five or you name the in, in U.S. dollars for 30 years. No, yeah. I cannot conceive of that. But, yeah. but it has continued. Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people are. A lot of people are doing so, and you wonder, you know, just why they're doing it. But that's that's their issue. Uh, well, just, just one, let me interrupt for one yeah. second. Uh, when you say a lot of people, remember that the Federal Reserve is buying 70% of the yeah. U.S. government debt. So not a lot of people. Yeah. There's one big guy with lots and lots of money who's doing it. But, and then a few other players because yeah. they have to. But yeah. no, it's, yeah. it'll come to an end. 
Yeah, the, I would imagine the creditor nations, uh, the, the China and the likes of those that are net savers, are still uh, stuck with some of that, and they don't want to unload it all at once. But, um, well, you know, I, there are people now that are Robert Prechter, for one, who's been on this show recently, well, about a year ago, called, in his view, he's, con- he's convinced that we've seen the end of the bull market in treasuries. And, you know, he noted there's going to be different reasons when interest rates start to rise. The optimist will say, well, that's because the economy is getting good. You know, then there will be those that believe that we're destined for hyperinflation or very high rates of inflation, and they'll say, well, that's because the markets are seeing rising inflation rates. And there will still be others that will see rising defaults as the reason for interest rates going up, even treasuries going up. Now, you mentioned that you are in junk bonds, which would seem to be highly logical to me. They would be the ones, I would think, that would be the first to go if you start having a rising interest rate uh, environment. Well, yes, in any bull market, the, the thing, the marginal companies or sh- shares or whatever it is, investment, real estate start to go first. It always happens that way. So, yes, on the other hand, Jay, if the bull market hasn't ended, the marginal stuff keeps going up to more and more absurd heights. You remember the bull market in stocks, the bubble at the end. I mean, the junkier you were, the, the better you did there in 1999 right. and 2000. So, yes, I, if I don't get the timing right, I'm going to hurt more. On the other hand, you're right. It'll be the first, it'll be the first uh, signal, the first bell to ring because the marginal stuff will go first. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of you know, inflation is, is, is certainly a concern when you're printing so much money. I think that you probably uh, see that as a possibility or a probability in the long run when you continue to print money, right? <laughs> Oh, of course, no, absolutely. It's always happened that way. Maybe, maybe this time it's different. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, well there will be plenty of people telling us it is. But, but speaking of inflation, I'm assuming um, now your fund, the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, and we talked. I talked to you about this years ago, and, and did an interview with you, which I published in my newsletter. You talked about the reason you created the Rogers Raw Materials Fund was to try to to gauge the cost of staying alive. How do you think your fund has done with respect to that uh, measure? Well, uh, and by the way, it was an index that I created, which uh-huh. other people then turned into a fund to track okay. the index. I, I, I don't have anything to do. Several people, uh, UBS, Merrill Lynch, many people, Daiwa, many people offer product, index products, mm-hmm based on the index, but I just have, I just created and monitor the index. Well, the index has done much better than shares mm-hmm. or bonds in that period of time, I'm, I'm happy to say. In fact, I could give you some numbers, and I just got some hot off the press. Okay, um, good. Uh, the, in the past, since it was created in August 1st, 2000, oh, sorry, August 1st, 1998, that's when it was created with real money, the S&P is up 98%. Mm-hmm. The Rogers Commodity Index is up 254%, wow. 255%, mm-hmm. and bonds are up 171%. Mm-hmm. So certainly over since it happened, and for once I got something right, uh, which I occasionally do, uh, it is far, 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 it's done three times as well as stocks, and in my view, well, certainly in the last year or two, the opposite is the case, but you always have corrections in the bull market in stocks from 1982 to 2000, 
You are old enough to remember that in 1987, stocks collapsed mm. 40 to 80% around the world. 89, 90, 94. I mean, there were periodic corrections. Everybody said, many people said, ha, the bull market's over. And of course, it wasn't. So in my view, that's what's happening now with commodities. It's having a normal correction, but the bull market is not over. I expect commodities, real assets to end in a bubble, as most long bull markets have throughout history and nearly any asset. Mm -hmm. And I hope I'm smart enough to sell if and when the bubble comes. Close to the top. Close to the top, Jim. I imagine uh, by your own admission, you're not a great timer, but you are definitely a person who sees uh, big trends and you see them early, which you did with your fund. Uh, speaking of big trends, we've had, I don't know, 10 or 12 years in a row that gold has, has risen. Is the bull market in gold over? Well, uh, in my view, no. I... I look back on it, and I was on CNBC and other places in December of 2011 explaining why gold would go to 1200 uh, Who knew that I knew what I was talking about? <laughs> uh, and it did go to 1200 and I bought some more. I, I don't think the bottom is here yet, but I bought more just in case. I've never sold any gold or silver uh, in my life. Jay, the situation with gold is it went up 12 years in a row, mm -hmm. which is a huge anomaly, as you know. Yeah. Uh, you and I had discussions about gold years ago. Um, well, that was an anomaly. I, I know of no asset in history that's gone up 12 years without a correction. Uh -huh. There may be some, but I don't know. No. So now it is correcting. I'm afraid the anomaly will be in the correction. It will not be a normal correction either because the previous bull market was so strong so long. Now, I would, again, I don't know, but I would expect the, the correction to take a year or two mm -hmm. in the case of gold uh, because maybe even longer because the bull, the, the run, the mm -hmm. bull run was so, so strong and so unusual. Right. Now, if gold goes down 50%, Jay, which many things go correct 50% during a long bull market. That would be between 900 and 1,000. If, if it goes there, I mm -hmm. hope I'm smart enough to buy a lot more. But remember, Jay, gold hasn't even had a 40% correction right. in, what is it now, 14 years or whatever it's right, been. Right, right. So, so the yeah. reaction to gold is unusual, but I haven't sold any. If it goes down, I'll buy more. I expect the gold bull market to end in a bubble someday. Whether that's five years from now, I have no idea, but I haven't sold any gold. If it goes down a lot, I hope I'm smart enough to buy a lot more. Yeah, we, uh, we certainly uh, saw the last bull market that I was a young man then at that time when the gold ran up in the 1970s, the inflationary 70s. We did have about a, well, we, we had lost almost half its value, I think, from about 200 to 100, and then it went from 100 to 850. I guess there's, that was a different environment, a different time. But yeah, I don't, I've never heard of a, of a market that went up 12 years in a row. I don't know of any either, Jim. You know, um, I, I have to ask you now, you're in, you're in, um, Singapore, uh, where we're talking to you from today, uh, or talking to you to, to you today. Um, it, Edward Snowden, getting back to that issue, what what are people saying? What, do you get anything in the press in Singapore? What what is the general census? Is he a villain or a 
or a hero? Well, uh, Singapore's government is a very strong supporter of the U.S. government. It has been for a long time, although many people in the world now are seeing what's happened in the U.S. government in the past 10 or 15 years, and you see more and more people questioning what's happening. Uh, yes, in the Asian press, you do see more people saying, wait a minute, the, these people have been accusing us of spying on them, and now we're finding they're spying on everybody, including us, mm-hmm. uh, including their own citizens. And it obviously raises questions, because <clears throat> the U.S., uh, has thrown a lot of stones at a lot of nations for the past well long period of time. Mm-hmm. Accused many governments of doing many many things to their own people, mm-hmm. and now it's a little hard for the pot to call the kettle black. Right. Since since we're seeing that, gosh, we're doing the same thing and worse. And you've heard uh, many uh, American uh, government officials say, "Oh gosh, these horrible Asians or horrible foreigners are." Spying on us, or, uh, or, or hacking into our computer. Well, now we know that the American government is doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, hacking on the evil foreigners. Yeah. So, so it's. I'm not the only person. You and I are not the only person to notice that. Wait a minute, guys. How can you sit there and say we shouldn't do it, but you can? And of course, since American technology is ahead of many countries, we're better at it than the people we are accusing of doing the same thing. Yeah. Everybody's noticing it and questioning it now. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, slick ways of getting rid of people now too. We don't have to go to court, uh, take them to court, or or even have to, you know, somebody can sit in a warehouse someplace remotely and push a button and and eliminate someone. So it's 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 quite frightening in some ways when you think that. Uh, uh, you know that maybe you could be the next target. Uh, who knows? But anyway, uh, just a couple more questions here, Jim. Then I'll let you get on with your day uh, there in uh, Saturday morning in in Singapore. Uh, the BRIC countries. Uh, um, we had Jim Rickards on the show not too long ago, and he was talking about some of the unintended consequences of the United States. Uh, uh, policy towards Iran, and he mentioned that as we tried to seal off Iran, they were sort of forced to start do, dealing with the with the BRIC countries, and the BRIC countries then, uh, you know, are, are talking of setting up their own banking system since the U.S. is sort of trying to seal off Iran. Uh, do you see that as, as something on the horizon, a, 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 some competition for the Western banking system that might arise from the BRIC countries? Well, I, I'm not so optimistic about most of the BRIC countries. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's an absurd uh, absurd sham, if you ask me. Although mm-hmm. I certainly have interest in many of those countries. But the major point to your question is there have always been unintended consequences when governments try to control anything. Black markets develop, or parallel markets have always developed, no matter what a government tries to limit or control. And so, yes, of course, it's going to happen if you say to many countries or people with a lot of money, you cannot do X, they're going to find a way to do it, even if they have to use Y. The Chinese and the Russians have already been saying, gosh, this this whole U.S. dollar situation cannot continue, and we must find alternatives. And so this is just forcing American government, unfortunately, is forcing people now to say, well, we've got to find different solutions to mm-hmm. the problem. And then along comes Iran and says, hey, guys, we got a lot of money. Venezuela says, we got a lot of money. We got it. We don't trust the Americans. We got to do something with it. The Chinese, the Russians are already saying this is a bad situation. So, sure, it's we 
are shooting ourselves in the foot again. You know, we're the ones who who once upon a time armed uh, Al-Qaeda. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're the right. ones who gave them the guns, gave them the training, mm-hmm. gave them everything else. So we're once again, I'm afraid, shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, we, we, in fact, uh, supported the Shah of Iran, which everybody in Iran hated. So, you know, it's no wonder that his enemies became our enemies. Mm-hmm. So it's not just us in America who does makes these mistakes. Everybody has faces the law of unintended consequences and it's happening again and I'm sure in 50 years we'll all look back and say boy it's too bad about the US dollar but then of course they brought some of it on themselves well Jim you know you're you're you are really an optimist if you think that you and I in 50 years from now are going to be looking back but uh, well maybe we will be <laughs> who knows but anyway uh, I, I, I want to ask you just one more question perhaps on on um, uh, on your choice to live in Singapore, you know, you, you've you said the reasons for choosing Singapore, uh, and, and part of it was to be in Asia where there's growth and also to have your children learn Mandarin. And uh, uh, But, you know, you've traveled the world. What If you had a second or third or fourth choice, what, what might they be? Which countries might they be? Well, the reason we're in, I want my children to grow up knowing Asia and speaking Mandarin, so in the Chinese cities are horribly, horribly polluted, mm-hmm. Jay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why we're in Singapore, which is not polluted and where everybody speaks Mandarin, there's great education, great health care, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, I would, if one of the Chinese cities were not polluted, I mean, some extremely exciting places, Hong Kong, Shanghai, but they're polluted. Uh, if I could persuade my wife, I would move to Myanmar, say, because it's extraordinarily exciting as Myanmar now opens up, Angola is opening up. There's some very exciting mm. places in the world opening up. If I were just an economic being, probably mm-hmm. Myanmar or Angola, but my wife won't go with me sure. and my children won't go. So I, I guess it would have to be, uh, I'd have to find maybe Vancouver, maybe mm-hmm. uh, I want a place where there's a lot of Chinese spoken for my kid. Mm-hmm. My main you know, I didn't, I didn't have kids, Jay. I was very, very much against children. I thought children were a hopeless waste of time, energy, <laughs> money. I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Uh, I came to parenthood late, and now I am, you know, I am a huge uh, advocate of parenthood. So I, my life now mainly is devoted to figuring out what's best for my children. Yeah. So it would be a place where they speak Mandarin so my girls can continue to grow up knowing Chinese. Yeah. If well, I didn't have children, it could be other countries. Well, it's, it's certainly uh, interesting. I noticed, uh, I think, in your last book, you talked about r- driving or taking your, your daughter to school, I think I read somewhere, on the, on the bicycle. It's, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it, uh, I, as we get older, and I can speak for myself, I, I see children uh, in a different way than I did, too, when I was a younger man. Um, well, Jim, just one more question. What about, is it too late for Americans to pack up and leave? No, no, no. Jay, every American's family came from somewhere else, unless you happen to be an American Indian. So, no, everybody, everybody listening to this show came from somewhere else. It's never too late. Your forebears did it. Many of them did it later in life. No, if you see better opportunities, and for goodness sakes, don't sit and look out the window and daydream. Do something. Can Will uh, the Singaporean government take Americans still, if we can get our money there? Yes, I mean, uh, many countries still accept Americans, especially if they want to immigrate, if they've got some some brains or some some skills or some money. Yeah, no, everybody like it's getting harder, Jay, because 
many, many banks, as you well know now, around the world refuse to do business with American citizens. Right. Oh, for sure. You know, we live in the land of the free, Jay. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, I, I know so how many, difficult it is even dealing with Canada, trying to, you know, to take out a private placement and all the red tape you have to go through and papers you have to fill out. It's, it is, as we discussed the last time you and I talked, it uh, is sort of a de facto uh, capital controls that have been put in place already. So, um, well, Jim, well, I, I want, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, the East Germans had a Berlin Wall. Uh, the Economist magazine recently had an article saying, well, America's building up its own Berlin Wall so that its citizens cannot get out or cannot do business outside of America. And I hate to say it, but it's true. Anybody who tries to do business or travel abroad is finding out that Americans are less and less accepted. Uh, it's just, it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. It's inconceivable that it's happened to our country. Yeah, it is inconceivable, and I also see, uh, you know, a country, uh, you know, we can remember thinking back to Solzhenitsyn and others that looked for uh, freedom, and they longed for freedom in Russia, and uh, and now we have one of our own who has escaped to Russia uh, in search for freedom. It seems quite an irony, but uh, anyway, I guess, you know, you're a great student of philosophy and history as well, so I guess probably to you, nothing is a shock. Uh, especially given all the experience that you've had traveling around the world, visiting countries. And, and again, I think it's, it's so extraordinary that you were able to go and, you know, into little villages in, in all parts of the world. Most people go to fancy hotels if they're able to travel around the world, and you, you chose to really learn to know the people in the different countries. And that's an education, I think, that is probably greater in some ways than anything you can ever get at the best universities. So, uh, Jim, I want to thank you very much. Uh, for, very kind of you to spend time with us. I know you have a very busy life. I know you've had a good workout now, and you must feel great. Uh, so you'll enjoy the rest of your weekend there in, in Singapore, I'm sure. Well, thank you, Jay. You, you said something earlier, which I didn't realize. You said as you get older. I didn't know you were getting older, Jay. <laughs> We'd like to believe we're not. And, you know, if you keep working out and you eat well and you have a loving wife and you have children around you, you know, it, life is pretty good even in our senior years. Well, my senior okay. years, not yours, Jim. Thank you very, thank you very thank much, you, Jim, for being with us yeah. once again. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I have with me once again Daniel McAdams, who is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Well, I'm planning to have Daniel on this show on a regular basis, perhaps on a weekly basis, uh, to give us an update on some of the most important things that are taking place around the world uh, in the world of foreign affairs. So uh, it's really good to have you back with me again, Daniel. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. It's always great to talk to you. Really good to have you with me again, and we should tell our listeners uh, that it is, what, what is the website again people can go to? Uh, ronpaulinstitute.org ronpaulinstitute.org I should really lead in with that each and every time it's a fantastic website there's a huge amount of information if you care two wits about what the United States is doing overseas you don't want to miss that uh, that website uh, it is just really a, a must visit site for sure well Daniel uh, I noticed that uh, you know you you talked on the website about the Congress uh, in in your Congress alert section uh, of the Ron Paul Institute, that uh, there's some new legislation brewing uh, in which Congress is trying to turn the screws down on on Iran, and I and I want you to tell us about that. But before we get to that, could you talk a little bit about the newly elected uh, leader of Iran, uh, someone who's been called a moderate, at least a moderate by uh, by the standards that we've known in the past? What can you tell us about the new leader? Sure, absolutely. No, he's. Um Hassan Rouhani is is considered a moderate. He was a protege of Rafsanjani, who was an earlier Iran Iranian president who was also a moderate. He was endorsed by Rafsanjani. Apparently, he's a um, a fluent speaker of English. And what's interesting today is that he's uh, given a sneak peek into his new cabinet, and um, you know it looks like he's serious about bringing in people who can who can deal with the, with the West, who've done business with the West. For example, his new foreign minister, um, uh, Zarif, uh, has a Ph.D. from the University of Denver. His chief of staff has a Ph.D. in economics from George Washington University. Won't hold that against him. <laughs> but uh, Keynesianism aside, um, these are clearly people that have been in the U.S. and have, uh, that have dealt with the U.S. And it should be a signal that Iran is trying to extend uh, a hand to the U.S. to, to restart negotiations. And indeed, this is what Rouhani ran on. You know, I want to say he wanted to uh, put an end to the isolation of Iran and reach out to the U.S. Uh, so that would be a good sign. Unfortunately, the White House just does not know what its Iranian policy is. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it seems completely confused. The White House, I think it was today, uh, released a statement basically saying um, uh, his inauguration provides an opportunity for Iran to act quickly to resolve the international community's concerns over its nuclear weapons program. Uh, so that really is not meeting anyone halfway. It's just saying, now you have the opportunity to do what we say, and if you do, uh, then maybe we'll talk to you. So oh. it's, 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 hardly, it's hardly reaching the other way across the aisle. Well, what can you tell us about the legislation that uh, Congress is proposing to pass now? Well, this is interesting. It was, uh, this is a piece of legislation in the House. Uh, last week, the last week before the August break, 
and it was basically a bill to, uh, and, and the timing is critical on these things, and it was not by accident on the eve of the inauguration of the new president. This was a bill that would really cramp down sanctions more on Iran. It would um, reduce the amount of oil that Iran could export to places like China um, and um yeah, and elsewhere, they have they're able to get exemptions. Uh, the Chinese and others are. They sort of this is sort of us turning the turning the other way while the, while the Chinese uh, pretend to support the sanctions. Uh, this will crank down on that a lot more as well. It passed overwhelmingly in the House. I think there are 400 yes votes. Um, and what's worse, the Senate 76 senators sent a letter to Obama last week as well demanding that he uh, tighten sanctions, more sanctions, mm. and to develop a, cred- a credible military uh, uh, plan for Iran. Uh, so, you know, you see this extreme saber-rattling on, on the part of Congress, oh. and the timing is not accidental. At a and, time, uh, Dan- but, but Daniel, again, at a time when it seems as though they've got a moderate leader who really wants to try to get along with us. At the very least, he wants to try to open negotiations. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but that would require some openness on the U.S. side, and the U.S. just does not have any Iran policy. You know, it's, it's very clear. The only policy seems to be uh, Iran, get down on your knees. You know, you yeah. have to completely uh, do everything that we say, and that's not going to work. I mean, this this the new president may be more flexible, which is which is terrific, but that doesn't mean that he will. Nor would any president. Uh, tolerate being dictated to by a foreign power. It doesn't make any sense. And some of the things that the U.S. demands that Iran do before we talk are things that, that Iran would never do. For example, to cease its peaceful and legal uh, enrichment of uranium for, for energy uses. Why, why would they give that up? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Why should they have to give it up? Why should they have to? And indeed, by being a partner of the nonproliferation treaty, they were given, they're given the right to peaceful enrichment of uranium. Uh, they've never been found in violation of the Non-Proliferation Treaty. They've never, the International Atomic Energy Agency has never um, shown that they have diverted um, uh, fissile material to non-peaceful means. They've never been found in violation. Uh, so uh, so what's, what's the basis of this continued uh, push on the U.S.? Who knows? Daniel, I think I, I read somewhere that the U.S. intelligence, the CIA and the, and the Mossad, uh, I guess that's the Israeli intelligence uh, operation, uh, is is not as concerned seemingly as what the, our mainstream media is about Iran's use of or, or, or turning to, um, you know, to nuclear weapons. Well, this is, you know, neither, neither the U.S. nor the Israeli intelligence services believe that Iran is currently manufacturing nuclear weapons. But what, what, the, what the Warhawks and the neocons in the U.S. have done is, once again, they have changed the language. So le- legally, by according to the terms of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, Iran is not allowed to divert uh, its fissile material to non-peaceful means. So they can't make a nuclear weapon. Legally, they could do everything right up until, right up until that last point. Mm-hmm. Legally, they're allowed to. What the U.S. and the neocons have done is to add this little word... Um, uh, capabilities. Mm. So no longer, uh, and it's, it, it is, it, there's nothing, there's nothing legal to that term at all, but it says Iran cannot have nuclear weapons capabilities, which is not a legal term. Uh, they're allowed to have those capabilities, although they say they're not pursuing them. Mm-hmm. So it's a way of moving the bar so that the U.S. can be even more aggressive toward Iran. 
Is there anything uh, in this bill, I mean, are there any concrete actions that would try to to restrict, I mean, are we saying they can't, are we trying to reduce the amount of oil they can export and try to starve them into submission? Is that the strategy here of the neocons? No, yeah, that's the case, to ruin their economy. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, um, the Wall Street Journal did a great piece about a year ago about how the U.S. sanctions on Iran, the, the one sector that they're hurting the, mer- the most is, is Iranian private business, the private sector, mm. because they're, they're not able to, um, to get the parts they need and all these sorts of things. The government sector is not as affected, but it's destroying the Iranian private sector. Yeah. And, uh, and it's doing the same thing here, Jay. Look, American business is not... Iran has this, the world's second largest reserves of natural gas after Russia. This is enormous potential wealth that American businessmen and uh, and investors could be could be very much involved in. And the U.S. restricts and forbids Americans from American businessmen from profiting as well. So really, it's hurting the private sector more than anything. Hurting our own private sector, you're suggesting as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and and the Chinese companies are more than happy to be involved and look the other way. The Japanese have have uh, looked the other way as well uh, on Iran because there's an enormous amount of business. And, uh, you know, that's the natural state of the world. People want to, to do business and to trade and have commerce. That's the normal thing. Sanctions are abnormal. Daniel, what do you say to, uh, let, let's say for, let's, let's say that the neocons' worst fears are, or their worst allegations are, are correct and that they go ahead and build a, a nuclear weapon. What does Israel have to fear? Does not Israel themselves have a nuclear weapon too? Well, sure. They have, not only do they have, you know, probably at least 200, but they've recently acquired the capability of housing these nuclear weapons on submarines. Oh. So that makes them one of the most lethal countries on Earth, uh, up there in a very, very elite few countries that can project absolutely devastating power worldwide. So even if Iran were to acquire or to build a nuclear weapon, uh, there's, there's just absolutely no way they could use it. The neocons would say, well, the Iranians are all crazy. They don't think in a rational way. Yeah. Uh, therefore, they can't be trusted to be rational actors. And that's how they get out of that, that sort of logical mess that they've, that they've made for themselves. But where is the indication of that? You know, yeah. where, where do we see Iran acting in complete, irrational, non-self-interest? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't see it. It doesn't have to say that we agree with their particular political and religious system to recognize reality about Iran. Well, it would seem as though the new government or the new, that the people themselves are looking for somebody who would open things up to the Western world with this latest election result. You would think that, uh, that that's not really what Iran is looking to do. Well, what in the world is behind this, Daniel? Why in the world do we, you know, are we saber rattling like this? If, if we don't have anything to worry here in the United States about it, we did, the Israelis don't really have to worry. I mean, granted, if they started building a nuclear weapon, we, we could know about that, right? And we could put a stop to it pretty quickly if we wanted to. Sure, absolutely we could. Um, you know, they, they, they've continued to meet their obligations uh, with regard to, um, to IAEA inspections. Although, of course, the U.S. always ups the ante every time they allow something, we want more. Yeah, you know, but you know, you know it's um, well. So it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, why though? Because if if uh, what you're saying is correct, we'd open up the markets to America, American companies, so we would be better off economically. There must be something behind the scenes that is that is really pushing 
this policy? It must be a small group of people, perhaps a small group of corporate interests that really want to dominate, and they don't really want to open it up to competition. Is that what, what's going on? I mean, well, there seems to be ec- economic more than more than security issues involved here. That's behind our our, our uh, saber rattling. Well, the neocons are intensely ideological. And there was an interesting piece in the Washington Post, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, um, and then buried at the very end of the article, it mentions that this bill that we were talking about, this, this real tightening of sanctions on Iran on the eve of this inauguration, uh, was partly drafted by, by Mark Dubowitz, who's the director of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Which is um, which is otherwise known as APAC think tank. Mm. So this is a group of very very partisan um, neoconservative Americans who who would like the world to believe they have Israel in their best interests or Israel's best interests at heart. Although if you ask most Israelis, they probably wouldn't be too keen on the saber rattling because they'll be on the receiving end yeah. if anything goes wrong. But these guys, you know, pretend that they are the great defenders. Of Israel, and and they're they're the ones that are drafting these uh, these pieces of legislation. So this that's the real problem, I think. Uh, Daniel, we're almost out of time already. It goes so fast with you, but I want you to just tell our if you could maybe summarize and tell our listeners why Americans should care about this issue. Well, our economy certainly is at stake. Uh, it's, it's it would be terrific if American companies could participate in Iran's immense riches. Uh, the Iranian people are, have been historically among the few. The Persian people have been among the few people that have always had positive view of American of American citizens, and they understand that Americans are not the same as the American government. So mm-hmm. we have a potentially, uh, you know, very profitable in more in more ways than one relationship with Iran. Uh, we should care about that, and we should also care about the threat of a war with Iran. And this is clearly what the neocons want. Mm-hmm. And it will cost us trillions of dollars in our economy and untold thousands, if not millions of lives. Yeah. So that is just absolutely insane. Yeah, lives don't seem to matter much to the neocons, that's for sure, at least if it's not our lives or their lives. So in any event, thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. Folks, it's the ronpaulinstitute.org. Go there. Lots of great articles. Ron Paul himself writes there. Daniel McAdams, there's lots of academics uh, that write very, very insightful articles there, as well as other people like Judge Napolitano, uh, Congressman uh, Kucinich, and other congressmen as well. It's a great site. It's very, very important. Go there and learn to know what is being said outside of the mainstream that makes sense. So please do yourself and your country a favor. Thank you, Daniel, so much for being with us. Once again, we'll have you back again next week. I want to do this on a regular basis if we can. Just get sort of the hot topic of the week to talk about because this is very important stuff that the mainstream media never talks about. They don't want us to know about what's going on in the world, it seems. So thank you very much, Daniel, for being with us. Thank you so much, Jay. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with a a wrap-up on today's show as well as some uh, comments about next week's guests. Don't go away. Be right back. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery.
SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, well, uh, the gold markets, the silver markets, the markets in general uh, were deflating today. I think almost everything is down. The equity market's down pretty sharply. Uh, interestingly enough, the uh, long bond is not responding the way it used to to the equity markets. We used to have, if equities, uh, if stocks were up, uh, the bond market would be down and vice versa. If the bond market uh, stocks were down, the bond market would be up. It doesn't seem to be holding true these days. In fact, there seems to be a bias towards higher long-term rates. Uh, and this is, uh, I think, one of the more interesting and very important developments in the markets. If indeed interest rates are getting away from the Fed, if indeed they can no longer control them, uh, then we could be into some very, very uh, significant changes happening in the markets today. Well, certainly the gold price down $20 today, silver down uh, $0.24, cents, something like that. Uh, are Have we bottomed? Well, I think we could see another double bottom. We could see another test of the recent lows in gold, very possibly even going below that. In fact, you know, we had um, uh, Robert McHugh on here a couple of weeks back, and Robert said he would really like to see another test, uh, 1,100 or even 1,000 on, on the gold markets, and then that would clear the air, really, and clear the markets uh, for a major wave four, uh, or wave five, I believe it is, um, no, wave four, and the Elliott wave four move up, which is the most rigorous uh, exciting, great moves uh, higher. Robert McHugh is certainly looking for much, much higher gold prices into the future as uh, am I longer term. It's a matter of timing when is uh, as important a lot of times as the fact that uh, prices are going to go higher. With the enormous amount of money that's being created, certainly uh, the gold shares have gotten hit extremely hard. And as Eric Coffin uh, was suggesting, there are some uh, anecdotal reasons to believe that in fact, we probably uh, have seen the lows are very near the lows in the gold share market, if not the gold bullion market per se. Uh, Eric had some interesting recommendations. He really puts out a very good newsletter, hraadvisory.com. Uh, you can go there to learn more about it. But three recommendations he made, two of which are in my newsletter as well, Colorado Resources, symbol CXO in Toronto, and Marisol Resources, MRZ in Toronto, uh, those are two that I have in my newsletters, two stocks that I like a lot. Another, uh, because Eric has recommended it, it's certainly worth uh, taking a look at. Mondoro Capital noted that it's uh, trading basically at its cash value. Well, it 
Eric doesn't just, uh, or nor do I, go for companies that just have cash. They have to have good management and good projects. So uh, Mondoro is probably really worth a look. Uh, Chris Krupe talked about uh, um, his company, the um, very interesting Paramount Gold and Silver, with less uh, something around 10 million gold equivalent ounces between two projects. And the one I think is most exciting is the Sleeper uh, project in northwestern uh, Nevada, where um, they've had they've come across some really great drill holes recently. One over 305 meters of uh, just under 1.1 grams of gold per ton. But that is a deposit. It's five million ounces of gold on lots of silver, likely to get a lot larger, in my view. And come uh, September, October, sometime this fall, we should have some new resource numbers. Both that project as well as the Mexican project have preliminary economic assessments. The numbers look very strong and very good uh, uh, on on uh, those projects as well. I do think, uh, as we look at the gold share markets, as uh, at the at levels that we haven't seen, uh, even when gold was at three hundred dollars an ounce. It hit levels that are down to the two, uh, 2008 levels after the Lehman Brothers debacle. I honestly believe that we have have, uh, have to be very close to a bottom in the gold shares. It's not to say uh, you can just throw your money at anything because uh, some of these are very risky and illiquid. So you need, do need to be careful. That's why you should uh, sign up for my newsletter. Subscribe to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, which you can get at miningstocks.com. HRA Advisory for Eric's letter. There's a lot of other people. Brent Cook comes on the show from time to time. Uh, we want to try to pick. This, I think, is the most exciting time to look at these uh, equity uh, at these stocks. Well, certainly enjoyed Jim Rogers' insights into uh, political um, and economic issues around the world and his uh, his uh, insights into where it might be a good place. It's not too late for Americans to leave, he says. Well, it's uh, it's difficult unless you're uh, unless you're wealthy and have some other things going. But in any event, uh, Daniel McAdams as well. Thank you, Daniel, for being with us today. Always some good insights into what's going on in Iran. Uh, the people that really want to have war, the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about. Certainly, we need to pay attention to what's going on. My engineer tells me we're out of time. Thank you again for listening to this show. Thanks, Tacey Trump, Matt Widener, for making the show uh, logistically possible. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.